Testing. <laughs> so I think this is episode four with Women in Sport and we're looking at football this week and I am joined by an array of fabulous footballers just for a bit of alliteration. So just to get your mics right, can we start with you, Nikki? Can you just give me your full name and kind of your background story, basically, how, how you got into football? Okay, so my name um, is Nikki Naden. I got into football from a very young age because of my dad. I think I pretty much came out of the womb with a football at my feet. Um, my dad was a semi-professional footballer. He played for Southport and Stadybridge United. My brother didn't really take to football, so it was left to me. And I've been playing it probably since I was about five. That's a pretty good story, though. That's a great story. <laughs> Mine is nowhere near as good as that. I do, I do realise <laughs> I go um a lot, and I noticed that on the playback. And I was like, God, stop saying um. Don't worry, it sounds natural. That's a semi-pro as well. God, I should it come to you Pressure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Becky Corker, she also goes by the name of Corky in the footballing world. Um, <laughs> basically started football when I was four because my brother was playing I started off at Colby um, started playing in Debbie's Diddlers team at the age of four and just kind of progressed up from then uh, my name's Becky Pay. Um, I'm a PE teacher on the Isle of Man um, I mainly started playing football in the back garden with my brother um, he didn't have a brother so I was his token brother and we just used to kick about every day after school um, in summer camps, used to always go away to my dad's in England and we'd go on um, two or three week summer camps in the holidays. Absolutely loved it. Uh, so that's how I got into football. Uh, and then I joined the um, Manx League when I was 14 um, and haven't stopped since. So, yeah, that's my story. That's that's a good one as well. Thanks. To be fair. Yeah. I think she was glad that she got your um, job title in as well, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name's Kim Hicklin. Um, I actually started a little bit later than everyone else. I started when I was 15. Um, I used to play a little bit with like the kids on the street and at school and stuff. And um, my best friend, uh, Becky Cole, um, kind of got me into playing. Um, she actually actually dragged me to Royals training, to be fair, because I was a bit nervous. But yeah, I've played since then, really. I've been at Royals for 17 years now. My story isn't quite as interesting as everyone else's, but I was a bit of a late bloomer, really, I think. <laughs> it's good. We've got a nice like variety of stories there. That's perfect. So let's start with numbers on the Isle of Man. How How is women's football on the island in terms of people participating and sort of support and coverage? Um, I, I think I can take that one, can't I? In terms of, um, well, there's only six women's teams at the moment. Uh, so obviously about, what, 10 years ago, there used to be double that. Um, and I think the large number of participation drop is down to the fact that the FA changed the regulation to only allowing, you have to, you could only play in the Women's League when you were 16, which in fairness is the same in England. So it's just a rule that the affiliation have made. Um, but I think with our micro demographic over here and having smaller numbers, that has definitely affected participation levels. If you do a comparison to, foot, uh, not football, sorry, um, if you do a comparison to hockey netball, um, they're allowed to play from 14, so out of that junior transition, they've got this whole adult league that's really exciting and they can develop, there's different divisions, there's lots of players. So I feel like that's probably an area that has affected that participation. And is there no way that can be challenged? I think actually, um, I think every year the same issue comes up and because it's obviously, we have to be in line with the UK as well, there's literally nothing they can do about it. But um, as Beck said, um, we kind of lose the players from the age of 14 to 16 because once they hit like 14, 15, they kind of join a different sport and then once they get a new circle of friends, they don't actually want to come back to football, which is a real shame because if you look at some of the like under 14 players, they're like really good. Mm. It's a shame really, but I think it's, and if they don't change that rule, I think it's always going to be an issue. Um, and unfortunately, I can only see things going even worse to be honest um, there's talk already about another potential team dropping out um, and 
it's it's kind kind of difficult as it is now going from like we used to play double the amount of like games in a season now it's dropped to like half that amount and it feels like we've kind of got half a season now at the moment it feels for Royals we're playing like every other week which is a shame but I think until they fix that issue I can't honestly see um the growth in the game to be honest certainly not in the Isle of Man it is really sad that and you hear that um with basketball they said that back in the day there were loads of teams like in, in a proper league and it is really sad when you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place by the sound of it and you're getting fewer and fewer people to play against through no fault of your own. And then how are you going to, one, play the sport that you love and two, progress in the sport that you love? So it's a tricky one. Is there anything else you can do to sort of like encourage girls to to take up football or at least stick with it? I think with the take-up part, a lot has been done. So um, about three years ago, the whole curriculum got changed um, at school level. Um, so that was revised completely and teachers were really open to it and looking being forthcoming with um, accepting that there's a big platform for women's sport and for women's football, particularly in England. You've got the World Cup. It's, it's massive now. Um, and that was reflected in the change of the curriculum. So now the girls, just like they do hockey, netball and rounders, they also do fixtures now against every school in football, which is fantastic. Um, we lead an Isle of Man schools football trip. We took 36 girls last year. Um, training numbers at extracurricular are fantastic and the girls really enjoy it. So at that level, it's there, job's done, it's great. And then it is just that between the 14 and 16, which is a notorious age anyway for girls to drop out of sport, that's where we're missing. So we've got all of the start up, all of the junior league, and that is just where there is that gap. They have, um, I think recently they've created um, an under-18s girls team um, and that's kind of to kind of keep hold of some of the players that seem to be disappearing. Um, I think it only started maybe, I think it was either this year or the end of last year, and that they seem to be getting a few fixtures. A couple of teams have been over here to play against them and they're looking to go away and stuff. So I think that's a positive sign, really. Um, if they could maybe even get like an under-18s kind of league going, that might try and keep hold of some of the players. It's definitely worth a shot anyway. Yeah, or even potentially, so from my background in the UK, is kind of weeknights, futsal or five-a-side, the uptake with that, because you don't have to have, they don't have to be 16 to play that. Yeah. So you could have that, you know, and mix the teams up and you turn around and you say, everyone comes down on a Monday, a Thursday night, whichever, we hire out the NSC or somewhere that's indoor so you get more, more take-up with the weather and have the youngsters coming in playing that because it's, it's less contact as well and it just keeps them interested and around the club. I've, I've, I've suggested it a few times, because what we used to do in Liverpool, we had a Monday night league was indoor five-a-side, and then Tuesday nights was futsal, which was really good as well for kind of developing the skills set, because it is you know it's, it is a little more trickier. Yeah, them. they actually did look, um, well, they kind of spoke about potentially moving the um, women's football league to a, a summer kind of thing, because they do like a summer kind of business, like a, more like a social league, really. Like a business league. Yeah, like a, it is like a business league, and you do see a lot of new faces, um, but... Um, that's been talked about and to be honest with you I think uh, it was in favour for like going completely moving it but it's just a case of actually doing it isn't it um, I think they did a kind of like a survey and I think it came back like most people that were voting current players and people that weren't currently playing as well um, and a lot of people said that if it was summer they'd maybe go for it and that kind of takes it away from clashing with like your hockey and your netball as well which I think could be a positive the summer league was on um, a weeknight and that seemed the numbers were really good I think there was, it was huge like, this year wasn't yeah it? really good um, and you see every year you see like different teams entering there was I think there was a rugby team in yeah. the last few couple of years and I think um, when it's a nice a nice night and it's, you're not taking people 
your weekend people are kind of more like positive about going to play sport aren't they so mm. i think um potentially moving it to a summer and maybe even doing a weeknight yeah. um or certainly maybe bringing like a competitive competition in the summer and certainly trialing i think that would be a good move to yeah. see if numbers would increase it definitely sounds like there are steps quite simple steps that can be taken to at least increase numbers and I think it's just a case of action rather than word sort of situation. Kids are enjoying it and loving yeah. it at school and it is just that transition into that age. What can be there for them to do it? We have um, at the start of every season before I think it's like a month before they have like a, a meeting so all the managers or anyone involved with the club um, meet with Sam and Nelson who's the women um, and girls FA officer um, and that was actually the subject was brought up about the summer competition and at the moment it's obviously like a business league so it's not really very competitive um, but they kind of brought the idea of um, safe, keeping it as a business league maybe even potentially making it a bit more competitive but capping the amount of say like island players that are in each team so there's not like one team that's absolutely littered with island teams because that's no fun for anyone. It makes it really boring, really. yeah. It makes it a bit more interesting if, say, you cap out like three or four island players or people who are like currently playing football and then try and get another four or five non-football kind of players as well. I think that'd be more interesting. I think people wouldn't be as like put off or scared against playing against a team that's littered with island players. Of course, that's going to put people off. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've spoken to Simon a few times and also a player, Beth, very sorry, I can't remember her Craig. last name. Beth Definitely. Craig, yeah, who's lovely. And me She's and Nikki... a Royalette as well, just to add in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and me and Nikki were talking that, um, I think, she, who she'd been signed by at Blackpool. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we were talking about having talented footballers on the island who then kind of get taken away from us. There's not really... Um... From what I can think of, there's not actually many players that have gone away and stayed away. Yeah. Um, I know there's people that have gone, they've kind of been on dual contracts. Some have just been signed recently, the, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, people have been signed, yeah. but they're not actually 16 yet. I yeah. think there's a couple of laxy girls. But from my understanding is, um, I think they go away and um, they can still play on the Isle of Man as well. We've just signed Tia Lissy from, who used to be at Laxey, she's at Royals now, and she was at Man United. And I'm pretty certain she was allowed to play for Man United, but on a dual contract when she came back. Well, so if she's playing away and getting that experience, for me personally, certainly for the island setup, I think that can only be a positive thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously she's going to be... She's playing football away, and them experience she's going to have playing against better teams. It's only going to bring it's going to only going to bring positive positive things to the island team personally for me. Do you get a lot of teams coming over to compete against you? I know you talked about a trip, Becky, with school kids, but as regular teams and the island team, do you get much time no, competing against? Well, England you don't teams? really, to be honest. The men do seem to get a lot more. Uh, they seem to get more people coming over to play against them, and also they seem to get more games across is there any particular sure. reason for that i'm not sure if it's a, f a funding issue to be honest the men do have a different sponsor towards i don't know if they have a lot more money plowed into their kind of their kind of thing but obviously it'd be better for us if we were playing more competitive like fixtures as an island team but we kind of we go on a training weekend before any major competitions but apart from that we haven't really had anything else and um, we went away to like an island games competition in june was it yeah. was in Isman? Yeah, yeah which, which was a massive like, success yeah, story. Has has that inspired younger players on the island, you know, to look up to you guys? Because that was a, that was an awesome competition. To be fair, when we came back, so many people. I think it was because it was separate as well. So because it wasn't like an actual island games, um, there wasn't loads of like everyone was talking just purely about football as opposed to all other sports um, so I think there was a lot of publicity and a lot of people had heard about what happened and stuff and I think um, 
it's kind of amazing to see how much the island comes together when something like that happens, really. You come back and you speak to people who you don't even think are actually into football and they talk to you about it. It's it's, it's really nice. But um, I think a lot of the young girls surely must look at the papers and have seen how well we've done as an island team. And they've definitely got to aspire to be, like, you know, to eventually be kind of in that in that setup. I personally think now the the young girls that are coming through, I actually only said this to somebody the other day, I wish I was 10 years younger or five years younger because the players that are honestly coming through, I wish I was still young enough to be able to play with them in five or 10 years time because the players that are coming through are literally a different class and they should go on to be really successful in island competition, certainly for the next 10, if not more years, um, which is kind of weird considering that the ladies game isn't actually at top strength but the island team seems to be like really strong so the standard it's kind is of higher even though the participation is yeah. depleted at that catchment but the standard of the kids that are coming through is fantastic it it's is. really good the players that are coming through honestly they're i'm to- in total awe of some of them girls that are coming through i genuinely wish i was literally 22 not 32 because <laughs> they are just a different class can you put that um, down to anything in particular i mean i know um the world cup was amazing and had a lot of exposure and do you think that could have something to do with younger girls watching those videos and trying out those things and having role models and people to look up to because it can it can really go a long way just watching Massive. professional women playing football you know was, in an easily accessible place it could, you know on the telly I, I suppose I not. So. we didn't have it did we we didn't have um you, you'd never turn on the telly and see a women's football match whereas now that's a common occurrence and they're getting more and more television time. You look at the World Cup, the ratings that the World Cup got. So our role models, when you asked us that question at the start, it was all family members or brothers or um, maybe males of the game. But whereas now you've got like Lucy Bronze and all these England amazing women footballers, that those kids can actually have a direct and look up and think, yeah, they are my role models. So. I think as well, I think you probably see a lot of young girls now getting signed up for like sort of Blackpool or Chester or like Tia who went to like Everton United and I think they probably think you know if they can do it why can't I whereas probably when we were starting off of 10-15 years ago it really wasn't not many players you didn't really see it very often did you so I kind of think now younger girls see other players going elsewhere and seeing how well they're doing I think well they probably think well why can't I do the same and so I think that definitely helps. Yeah at grassroots it's never been better. So participation, sub-14, it's never been better. Coaching of the, well, the coaching standard alone is a lot better. Um, there's more numbers at those clubs. It they, is they just actually, at the older um, end. They can play in the lads' league as well, can't they? So they can actually play in the, the boys' leagues then as well. So that makes it more competitive for them. I know um, our Royals girls entered the boys' team and our under-14s and our under-12s team are actually immense. I think they've just announced a squad, I think, of 17. That's in the under-14s. And I think 10 of them are Royals girls. Um, and I think, honestly, that's down to playing in boys' leagues as well. I'll be on the I'd bench say... next year. <laughs> Again. Again. <laughs> All right. Be- Becky's nickname's got to be Splinter. <laughs> that's a really interesting point, and one I've brought up with um, in other sports as well, about girls training with boys and whether that could ease the tensions between or like the assumptions that there's such a huge gap between how exciting like male and female sport is but also a gap in ability sort of thing Mm -hmm. so how how do you find training with boys and also what's the male attitude towards girls training with boys because speaking to the basketball girls they were like we had to prove ourselves you know we we went in um, with a lot of the guys kind of tutting and saying, oh, we have to play with the girls, and then being pleasantly surprised. You know, it's always quite satisfying 
Are you fighting against that sort of thing in the male football league as well? I'm kind of sick of hearing my own voice, so if anyone else wants to chip in, if not, I'm happy to answer again. I think it's different because we don't actually... Uh, I don't know, it's... We didn't grow up no. with the boys, did we? Like, I used to... I played with the boys up until I was probably under 12s, and then when we hit the... When I hit 12, then it was training with the under 12 girls, um, and then a few of us went on to playing with the women and we trained with the women even though it was 16 to play with them we would still train with them up until so we still were training with them so we were more than capable of playing with them and being able to like hold our own against them but we just weren't actually legally allowed to play with them um but yeah i we used to find it a bit me and um my friend sarah wignall she's currently in miami on a football scholarship at the name minute dropping. name dropping shout yeah. out to wig <laughs> um we used to play in the in the when we used to play with the boys um they i think yeah it was more of an age thing that they didn't really want to pass to the girls and it was you kind of had to make a statement that you were there and that you did want did want a pass and you wanted to be involved in the game because they just I think of the age as well they just weren't really a fan of involving the girls but I think it changes now um, because we've had we had a sign in this year Shannon Primrose Smith she's um, she was playing with the boys Castletown boys and she was actually made captain um, so she was the only female in the Castletown um, team and she was made ca- uh, captain for it over the boys that's awesome um, but yeah so I don't know I think it just varies really I think there is a bit of a stigma still like against boys and girls playing football together like I think um I think boys, for me, I think the biggest thing that girls struggle with when they do move up to the ladies' league is probably the physicality. So if you have someone who's quite small or petite and they've not played against boys and they move up to the women's league, I think they kind of find it difficult playing against some of the more stronger, bigger women. Whereas I think if they've played in the boys' league, I think that kind of it's an easier transition, definitely. And again, Tia, she plays in the Onken boys team and she's she's so strong she's stronger than me and she's she's a she's a quite a tall girl she's quite solid but I think that's definitely helped her game playing with the boys and I kind of think I, I personally would encourage it I, if anyone asked me should I play in a boys league should I not I think there's only positives to take from that really so is there is there like a mixed league they can play in um, a boys junior league up to the age of 16 so they do have that opportunity and to be fair to boys i think their opinion of women playing sport i think that has improved um and i think that uh, it is easy for the boys now they do have more respect for the girls that are playing which is great it's just if only they could have a sole league for those for those girls at that age i mean i started playing when i was 14 because uh, the law hadn't come into effect so i was on the pitch with with women at the age of 14 um, just like in the mixed hockey league, you can play at 14 against fully grown men who can hit the ball at 90 miles per hour. Okay, it still happens. So I think it's. Um, I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it's like more like a safeguarding. So if you're yes. getting changed with yeah. women, and there's like a 13 year old, and you're getting in the shower or getting changed with yeah. women, I think that's the issue. I don't necessarily think it's physically playing against them on the pitch. I think it's more the off the pitch kind of thing. But I don't think that but, should be the issue now because like most facilities now do have a women, or well, the, the majority of them do have a women in the men's changing room. So I don't think that should actually be a factor that is one of the issues. And to be honest with you, I think most, well, certainly I know at Royals, we all have our own kit. So we generally tend to turn up in our kit. And if that kind of was an issue, you kind of just say, well, turn up in your kit and go home in your kit. I think there's ways around that. I think if... That kind of kind of spoils it, really, doesn't it? Um, I kind of think there's not much of a easy solutions yeah, to exactly. those yeah, definitely problems. Um, and there's two changing rooms always. There's a disabled changing room if needs be. So I kind of think that issue could be easily sorted. Mm-hmm. Another issue with girls and boys playing mixed is a lot of girls feel a little bit intimidated by boys, um, and so again, you still lose them because 
I kind of think probably the more confident ones and probably players who think they're at a decent level would probably go and play with boys. But someone who just kind of does it for a bit of fun and thinks they're like kind of an like a mediocre kind of player, um, generally wouldn't go to a lads team because you, of you know the attitudes that would. Well, would I was just about to say, do you think that's down to physicality, like physical difference between men and women, or do you think it comes down to male attitude towards women? Because in terms of snowboarding, like in the freestyle park I used to feel really intimidated going in the park and it's majority guys but as soon as the guys are like go for this rate you can do it it makes such a huge amount of difference you know rather than them sort of silently just waiting for you to like hit a jump or something which isn't a very nice feeling so do you think it's down to the physicality or do you think it's down to male attitude I actually think it's both you know I think um obviously if you look at some boys who are playing the under 16s they're not they're big they're strong so they're not exactly small at that age, but also I think it's attitudes as well. I think if they were really encouraging towards girls, I think maybe that would kind of help. Yeah, one um, positive remark, it turn it around. Definitely. Mindset, yeah. I, th- I definitely think that's the case. And as you say, like if the more confident you are, um, the more like the happier you'd be in kind of an environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if boys teams were a little bit more encouraging and passed um, the ball and even just gave like positive feedback or comments I think that would definitely help mm. but we've played both the island team and royals have played against the under 16s royals team at the time and I think most of them played for the island team as well and they are fast and they are big and they are strong and that's against women um so I can see I can see why some yeah, of the girls would be that match, didn't we? <laughs> royals I think we actually lost about 10 nil and I think at one point and then the island team to be fair we the island team played it so I think we lost four nil but still um, they're at that age, they're quick and they're fast and they're really fit, and I think uh, I, I can kind of see why it would be a little bit intimidating. Intimidating, not for me, not like physically, but just more because their ability really. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And they are good at that age. Yeah. Let's talk about. We touched on funding a little bit. What's funding like for women's football on the island in terms of sponsorship? And because obviously you need money to progress the sport. It's pretty much as simple as that and I know like with the Islands netball team we we have to get individual sponsorship but we're also supported really really well by the Manx Netball Association and uh, companies that sponsor the league and I and I was like oh that we do really well for a women's sport but then I was speaking to Bryn Snellgrove and he was like in comparison to rugby you guys get nothing and he wasn't and he wasn't saying in it in a bad way he was just like it's just ridiculous how much more money travel, they, they get that. yeah yeah and you know it's a constant struggle between like booking holiday days off and then actually being able to afford to go and compete abroad where we have amazing opportunities to like play against america and canada and whatnot but when you haven't got the money it's a really sad thing to not be able to represent your country in your sport because financially you can't afford it so what's it like I think for women's football ladies football really i think um ned bank um was with the last, well, they sponsor us now. And to be fair, they stepped in and I think they gave us quite a good chunk of money and bought us a new kit and stuff. But I generally think, like, if you look at the men's team and how many opportunities they get, both going off Ireland and teams coming over, um, and just generally, like, the like the kind of, not, I wouldn't say treatment they get, but they do definitely seem to benefit more than what we do. Um, you never really hear about how much the FA actually put in to, like, the game. Um, I do believe they do put a chunk towards ladies, but I do still feel like the men men definitely get. Do you I don't really know. I don't know how much transparency there is, but when it comes to what funding we get, I I couldn't actually give you the breakdown. No, we still have to when we go away to tournaments. Um, like when we went to Innismore, self funded. 
Um, how much did we have to pay? We have to we pay for a training weekend, which <coughs> it is was two hundred and fifty in total, wasn't it? And that included a training weekend, which I think broke down to seventy five pound for the train or hundred pound for the training weekend, seventy five pound for the kit. Yeah, and then two fifty for the trip or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so it, it did. But you That's still have all to, yourself, isn't yeah, it? So you yeah. have to pay that yourself. And which I think, like, obviously you do want to help, but I mean, like you said, like if you're representing your country, it's a bit of a shame that if you have to miss out because you can't actually find the funds for that. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they so they had to actually pay the same for Innesmon, um, but they just seem to get like so we have Innesmon, and then now the next tournament we probably go to will probably be the next Island Games in two years. But they seem like they just had um, a team over at the weekend. They do seem to have a lot more teams coming over. I don't know if that's due to Paul Jones's contacts as well, to be honest, because he does seem to have quite a lot of contacts because obviously he was um, heavily involved in the UK as well. Um, but. Would he not be willing to share those contacts with the uh, potentially? But it's also side. the teams that come over. It's also very expensive for them to travel over as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And because the men are in, um, like they're in set different competitions as well. It's kind of beneficial for them to be playing against these kind of fixtures, like these kind of teams. And also because they're in other competitions as well, they do get more fixtures. So teams have to travel here, or they do have to travel away. Whereas we actually aren't in anything. We kind of apart from the Island Games. We don't really have anything else planned, so... Which is a shame, really, because we don't actually, as an island team, we don't actually get to train with each other until, what, six months before we have a competition, which is every two years. So yeah. apart from just playing against each other every Sunday or every other Sunday, it's not very often we actually get to properly train as a, as a squad. And then you kind of look at, obviously, we got a gold medal last time we were away, and before then we got silver. So you kind of, it's not like we're not performing and well, we don't exactly. deserve to go away, because like the past two competitions we've entered we've had a, a two medals uh, I don't really know what else we can do to prove ourselves or um, I know it obviously comes down to funding but I mean but that's the thing like all you can really do I, I would think to secure funding is prove yourself as a squad and as athletes and when you've gone away and got a silver and a gold medal it sounds like the funding situation might be in place because it's been in place for a very long time and that's that's now the general norm and you guys are trying to sort of change that. I think it's the classic thing is like Manx don't do change very well. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, it doesn't it doesn't come easily, yeah. So what do you think you need to do besides going away and proving yourself? What what needs to be done to sort of change those attitudes? I think was simply to answer the question, it comes with opportunities. So the women have gone away, they've shown what they can do, they've shown the level they can compete at and getting the medals that they have. Let's give them more opportunities. Let's create more contacts. Let's get a team visiting. OK, they might have to pay a bit to come to our island, but we'll return the favour and we'll go and visit their club. We'll visit their town, we'll play a triangular of the teams in their league and there's some more connections and they'll come over. And I think by doing that, you're going to increase the opportunities to play and it's also increasing the platform of women's football on the island because there's going to be more media coverage, going to be more influence. Do you have any clubs in mind that you would approach in England? About There's, there's so many in the northwest. There's, there's so also, many established leagues. Um, I think because Nedbank sponsor us and Jersey, there was talks of doing like a triangular thing. So in between the island games, going to say Jersey or them coming to us and maybe adding someone else in like Guernsey or Isle of Wight and trying to do something like that. And because Nedbank obviously sponsored both us and Jersey, it was kind of, I think the idea was to try and do something to give back to them as well, like sponsorship, like promotion wise. Um, but again, it's just talk and nothing really has materialised, to be honest. Um, yeah, it needs to be more have, proactive um, at the top end, I think, a little bit. We do have good contact with Altrincham um, and they've been able to play against us. And um, we were meant to play them in a training game 
game last time I went away, but unfortunately they had a fixture, a final or something the next day, but that's a quite a good contact and they seem to keep in touch with us and like, like Twitter posts and seem to get quite involved when we're actually playing for the island. So I think that's a good contact we've got, but um, I think um, for the island team just to get better, I do think that playing away or for teams to be coming over, um, I think that's kind of key really. And um, just keeping the girls together as well, because as Corky said, we only really see each other when we're playing against each other on, the, on a Sunday really. Um, I think that can happen at club, le- club level as well though. I don't think it just has to be the island team who's going away and come coming to visit we can do it at club level fixtures like for like standards of cross in England when I do the Ireland man schools girls trip all I do is I go on the FA website look at the directory email a few people I get some fixtures and we go it's as simple as that I and think then, um, someone actually just contacted me yesterday Sarah Kerford who used to play for Corinthians and um, she's actually bringing um, her I think local team um, she lives away now she's bringing her local team over um, for an Easter kind of tournament so she's just contacted us and asked if we'd be keen to play so um, I think that's like a club kind of thing so I think she's asked Corinthians who she used to play for and Royals are going to play as well so that's kind of sorry, something to sorry people <laughs> sorry. Um, that's kind of something to look forward to and normally in the Easter holidays we do we've got quite a few teachers so they're away but we kind of think well we've got like two weeks off from football usually so it's kind of nice just to do something and mm. um, that's kind of something a bit different as well it's probably going to be more boozy isn't it than uh, actually playing football I think <laughs> you know what them tours are like <laughs> well speaking of booze that's quite a nice segue let's do some less serious questions I've heard stories and to be fair with netball as well <laughs> particularly at uni if someone gets player of the match if you what's oh basically you what, never wanted that at uni what is the most gruesome thing that you've ever had to do from getting player of the match I don't think Corky's ever had it so she wouldn't be able to tell you that <laughs> <laughs> we had to do a big bean tequila shot in Liverpool a big bean yeah, tequila yeah, shot so every time on a Wednesday after play and if you got player of the match or I won't say the term but kind of the, the, the idiot of the match you went to this bar and it was a tequila bar and the worst shot was Big Bean, and I had it several times. Not for player of the match, probably for the other one. And it was vile. I thought you'd like baked beans, mate. <laughs> I was going to say that, but I didn't wow. think it was appropriate. I can't it felt stand definitely you. not appropriate. Because <laughs> I knew it was able that's, to be edited. That's, that's the first edit. Can I we swear had a on bean this? joke. <laughs> We, we actually don't um, at Royals when we kind of have an uh, initiation shot so it's not really like play of the match but any the new people was vile, it was horrible was it any new people that come in they have to do tequila only, Baileys yes. and lime so yeah. when you mix it together curdles curdles we just had two 16 year olds join with us as well so that was Which a nice <laughs> great promotion for underage drinking <laughs> everyone's over 18 <laughs> no at uni it was a shot so you had uh, five shots from the top shelf and then they'd fill it with cider, Guinness, and Carling. And then you had to neck that with a good song. And then, yeah, normally... <laughs> two crackers afterwards, we used to do. Your night ended, like, half an hour later. I didn't get that very often, though, so it was all right. <laughs> um, what would you say is the most irritating stereotype that comes with women's football? I'll answer that. Well, one of them. That you have to be a lesbian to play football is a mass... But more from men. I thought you did, didn't you? <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah that, that I got that a lot growing up as well and I think some women kind of stop playing football for that reason because they, they get the, the connotation was you have to be big and butch as well and it's like no there's a, there's a lot of the, the youngsters out there who are probably a bit more, more skillful than you know the old, old stereotype of women's football where did that stereotype come from you tell me it's attached to a lot of women's sport um, but it does seem to come under the umbrella of women's football 
Um, I don't know the statistics. Maybe there is a larger proportion of, of gay people who do play football, but um, I don't think it should even matter as a conversation. Well, no, really. it shouldn't. I don't think no, it should no, be a stigma. But I do feel like it's a stigma of ladies' football compared to, say, if you look at like netball or any like hockey, it's not really surrounded. Yeah, I think it's... Women's rugby gets it a little bit, but not quite no, as much. No, yeah, no women as much as football. I think it's because, maybe because football is classed as a boys' sport, um, and I think that's maybe why, if you look at netball, it's not really classed as a boys' sport. And I think that's maybe why you kind of, if you're considered, if you play football, then you're kind of a bit of a tomboy or a bit of a lad. Uh, Even if you are, it's, it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the main one I, I'd heard growing up and I just wondered why, really. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, with netball, it was seen as a girly sport and I always felt like the most ungirly girl playing netball so it was kind of like i don't know annoying stereotypes um is that the reason you didn't start playing football then or (laughs) (laughs) i remember being in in primary school and i was i was never really the coolest becky knows and um (laughs) i did say that before we came to be honest (laughs) he's so uncool guys (laughs) um and i remember saying oh you're gonna stay behind to to play footy and like one of the boys was like huh footy don't you mean football and i was just like well, like, <laughs> I'm going to play netball now. Um, okay, one question I ask everyone. Have you ever had a moment of rage during a game? Or like you were talking about um, downstairs, um, has anyone been simbined before? And if you have, you will. what oh, yeah. for? It's only really come in this year. Oh, really? Yeah, somebody we played year. against Corinthians two weeks ago, was it two yeah, weeks ago? Yeah, someone got And somebody got simbined for the last 10 minutes, which was actually, it was a big loss to them because we were, I think we were winning 2-1 at the time, but the game... It was was fairly it was fairly tight, wasn't it? And she got simbined and we What for? Um I believe altercation with the ref. There was two players having a bit of argy bargy and I think um she turned around and said, Are you not watching the game, ref? or something like that, but you're not allowed to say anything directly to the ref or about the ref. Um, and then yeah, he just gave the simbin, but we ended up winning four one and because I don't yeah, think it was cool. down just to the sim bin, Kim. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, no, um, it can when you game. go down, it can, 10, yeah, definitely. Ten players. There's so much more space we had. Yeah, you know, it was, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, and in ladies' football, um, goal difference actually doesn't count. It's only head to heads. So, them two goals could prove vital. You know, comes to the yeah, end of the season. And um, so for us, we were made up that we obviously scored two more. Um, but for them, unfortunately, it just created too much more space for us to play into. So I think the sin bin might catch a few people out. I think did someone got threatened in your game, didn't they, Becky Corkish? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> Again, it was just like chatting to the ref. But I mean, the way I remember it was I was politely asking him if he could explain his decision. But I, I don't think it actually came across as a polite question to him. Um, yeah, I basically just asked him to explain his decision but um because obviously I didn't agree with it it might have come across in a more aggressive tone um because I wasn't 100% happy with it and didn't agree with it um yeah I basically said if, if I carried on speaking then I was going to get simbined um but yeah I think so you know it just takes away any like angriness and yeah. it kind of takes out the venom a little bit out of the game because you know yourself if something doesn't go your way it's the easiest thing to do is just turn at the ref and say something. You're not allowed to say anything to the ref or like about the ref, um, or even you're not allowed to like swear, even if it's like around kind of a decision. It's even kind like, of like swearing made. at yourself, though, isn't it? As yeah. well, like if you if you take a shot and you miss it and you you swear at yourself out loud, you you'll get simbin for it. That's a bit harsh, I feel. Yeah, I think because usually you can tell if something's directed at a ref or an umpire. But look at the professional game. Though. I know that's what's the, the hardest part. You actually awful. can read their lips exactly what they're saying. So it's kind of not setting a precedent to us to not do that. Like yeah. it kind of 
You look at a rugby match, you don't see that level of disrespect to one of the officials. You look at a netball match, you never see that level of disrespect. Whereas in the Premier League, it's almost part of the game. Mm. And then at the lower levels, we try and enforce it as, no, that's not right. You need to respect the ref and the decisions that are made. But you watch a Saturday Premier League game and it's awful. They sometimes open refs' faces and actually, like, Mm -hmm. you know, pointing fingers or, like, screaming in their faces. Yeah, over here, we're told we're not even allowed to say anything, like, even if it's indirectly to the ref. Um, It kind of doesn't doesn't match up for me really but and that's what the youth are watching as well every, I know. every Saturday. that's what they're seeing isn't it the youth are watching one so one thing i noticed about the world the women's world cup i hate saying the women's world cup i just feel like it should just be the world cup um was that the women when they went down were very quick to get back up yeah. rather yeah. than be like yeah. oh mm-hmm. it's a christmas pantomime do you know yeah, what i mean I because that, i though. personally Hate yeah. that about and it is a mine. It is. It actually brings like proper frustration to me watching the men go down when they like very rarely get even touched and they go down because they'd rather have the the free kick or the penalty. Whereas in women's, it seems to be like they get straight back up because they want to carry on with the play and it just leads. It's like stops stopping the play almost. It just means like a smoother game as opposed to constantly stopping and starting for free kicks all the time. It's also not a good precedent set for younger players. I don't yeah, yeah. think you know. And you have such. I mean. Football is it probably the most watched sport in the it's world, and yeah. you know, Europe, I mean, yeah. you're gonna get kids just like, just mimic it, won't they? Yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. just mimicking that it's behavior. It's interesting though, um, when it was the, the, I can't remember, it was about a month ago, and it was the first ever uh, all female officiated men's Premier League game. Um, so it was women linesmen, um, women referee, um, everything was the women, um, and it would, it did change the tone of the game. It flowed better, and yeah. the the men not once argued with the ref. But did you notice every time if they did go over to the ref to like talk to her, they every single fella had their hands behind their back. It was almost as if they'd been told, "Do not raise your hands to like towards the women refs or the women officiates at all." That's uh, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and are we going to be seeing more of that? Well, it was they had fantastic reviews post game uh, that the women held the game, the 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 pace of the game, and everything. So, I think it was a really good advert for. Mm-hmm. What about with the crowd? Because you see in professional football, the crowd really like laying into the into the refs. Yeah. Um, did you see a difference in crowd behaviour when it was female referees? I didn't. I didn't really note the crowd. Um, no. I think everyone was a little bit on the best behaviour for it because it yeah, was quite. I think, yeah. It was hyped up before the match. It was actually it was Liverpool Chelsea. Was it? It was the Super Cup. So it wasn't. It's not the Premier League one yet, oh, but it's it the not? first one of Premier League teams. But um, the feedback they got from the Chelsea players, the Chelsea staff, the Liverpool players on the pitch, they said they felt the game had a lot more control with having the, the female referees. Whether that is down to because they were female, but the feedback was so. Hopefully, they will replicate it. We've got linesmen, female linesmen in the Premier League, mm-hmm. but not an actual female referee okay. yet. Well, hopefully that. That, of time, yeah. You know, that's only a matter of time, like you say, because I think you still get that stigma. I mean, I had a conversation with someone earlier in the week who who was talking about um, getting annoyed that there's women presenters on BBC Sport and then saying, um, oh, actually, he doesn't mind them because they seem to know what they're talking about. And I was just like... Why would BBC Sport give a woman a job if she didn't know in depth about well, sport? Scott's and it just amazes me. It's rudeness and ignorance, I personally. But hopefully, step ignorant. by step, having these presenters, having these officials, and having more women's face around the sport will help alleviate that stigma. Such an old fashioned so, stigma, so dated, though. It's isn't it? so dated, you know. And then going back to like that's so dated and then actually if you're a woman and you're good at sport then you must be like a butch lesbian like you say so it's like god it's like a lose-lose so I think it's really important and vital that everyone in all female sports just keeps plugging away and plugging away Mm -hmm. and plugging away until it it eradicates the majority doing your job flogging your job as well 
to make sure uh, <laughs> women are brought to the radio a lot more. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, well. definitely. It's like the most enjoyable part of my job. Yes. Um, let's go on to the most nervous you've ever been before a match. And if you have any pre-game routines that like you're superstitious about, if you've played a really good game and uh, you were wearing a certain pair of socks, do you have to wear that pair of socks every game? Um, mm. Anyone have any of those superstitions? I, I actually, bizarre, well, I actually don't really get totally nervous anymore. Uh, I do a little bit when we're playing for the Ireland team, but we kind of have a few like rituals of the Ireland team. So before we go to big game, not big games, just any game, when as soon as we got onto the coach, uh, the music is literally blared to the max. And once the speaker's on, everyone, it's literally like a rave. Everyone's on their feet. They're banging the roof, the windows. And I think that kind of takes away the nerves a little bit. Um, sometimes in the changing rooms, when you're getting, like, getting ready, getting your kit on, I kind of feel a little bit nervous. But as soon as you like take that kick that ball for the first time I kind of think nerves disappear um but on Ireland I don't I actually don't think I get nervous anymore to be fair I think it's a sign of old age now I think it's age (laughs) yeah I can't say I get too nervous my only ritual is playing netball before it and then going straight to footy pitch (laughs) 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 but I think as long as your first touch is good on a footy pitch then you settle you're normally okay because you're sat on the bench yeah. so it's fine <laughs> so you've got a chance to watch the match first for 45 get minutes get benched once and that's me now <laughs> I'm <only> joking <laughs> thanks captain <laughs> do you get nervous Corky? Um, yeah I mean no well it depends who we're playing if it's one of the bigger games then yeah I do get nervous because I feel pressure that I want to do like our club proud Um, and then I like when we were at Yenisman it was the final and we were, we were playing like in at Yenisman at their home stadium against the home team. So obviously the entire crowd was basically a Unisbon crowd. Um, and I remember they were, they were chanting and, and the, the drum was banging, drowning our tiny little coach speaker out. Um, and I just remember how nervous it was then. But again, it's you just got to like zone it completely out um, and just focus on what, what you're there to do and that you want to win. And Would you say that's one of your football career highlights? Yeah, definitely. I'd probably, yeah, absolutely, because it was what, my second Island Games. So my first Island Games was in Gotland and we won the silver. And as much as, as sad as it was, you still, you had to lose to get the silver. So obviously you should still be so proud that you won the silver medal, but you had to lose a, a gold to win the silver. So this time around when we went and won the gold, it was like, yeah, ridiculous. Like so proud to have three legs on, on, on my chest. Feels like it's been a long time coming, to be fair though, doesn't it? We've kind of been knocking on the door with a bronze medal and a silver medal. Missing out. And I think... Um, that silver medal always feels like a loser's medal for me personally. Yeah. Even though Pete, you should be proud of getting a silver. For me personally, I just think it, it's classed as a lo- like a runners-up medal. So I think um, Innes Mom was definitely a special a special time. As, as Beck said, it's like playing against their like host and nation and having playing in a stadium full of like their fans. Um, that can be makes it so more... off-putting. It was so intimidating. Like I remember when we were two 0 up, weren't we? And there was. I think there was half an hour left and Yunus Mon got one goal to make it 2-1 and the, the entire crowd just erupted and got behind them for the last half an hour and they were just, oh God, it was just ridiculous like trying to focus and not like zone in on what they were shouting and everything. I don't I don't know how professional footballers do it. I don't think my heart could actually take but, it. But you did do it, you know, you, you proved that you did it and came back with the goals which makes that win even more impressive, I yeah, think. Yeah, and you could tell like as soon as we won it as well, like all the girls just dropped to their knees and like the tears were absolutely streaming um came to say the least anyway i know i don't know what actually happened to me more I think water it's, than Salby river I, I running down that face <laughs> i think it's probably because uh, i know probably 
I've probably only got one more Island Games left in me, I think, so it feels a bit more special now. Um, I, I don't know why I was crying so much. I think it was tears of joy, to be honest. But um, I think after playing um, like back-to-back, I think it was four games as well, I think you're physically tired as well. Maybe not so much like Corky, because she's only 12, but um, <laughs> <laughs> certainly me at 32 now, I played like all, every game, every minute of every game, so I think I was physically tired and... Um, as it just feels like it's been it's a long time. It's incredibly mentally, emotionally, and physically exhausting. It I is, would imagine. To be fair. And trying to look after a t- team of kids as well, and trying to keep up with them. I think that's actually more exhausting, to be honest. But <laughs> first one um, to bed on the night out. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was good. I think, um, as I said before, the the girls that are coming through now, I can only see the island team going from strength to strength now. Um, the calibre of players that are coming through are ridiculously good and I think that's just a, the start of things to come really for them. Mm. Maybe myself one more time, but certainly for um, the, the 16-year-olds that are, coming, are due to come through now, they're just absolutely brilliant. Nikki? So I don't play anymore. I've gone into the, the coaching side and I think I get more nervous now as the kind of coach manager of of a team that I'm trying to build up from kind of from scratch than when I when I played I I never nerves never affected me I think and what I'm trying to do with the girls at the minute is explain that football is 50% skill and fitness and the other 50% is mental side so for me I've always kind of studied the psychology of sport so that's kind of what I'm working working with them so yeah I never really I feel more nervous now on a Saturday night knowing on a Sunday I have to go out and I've got 14 girls looking at me saying come on Nikki I want you to turn this around and I'm thinking you know started from here and we're, we're progressing in the right way how do you coach the girls if they if they go on and have a shocker in the first 20 minutes of a game what do you say, say to them at half time to mentally turn them around probably can't say live on radio can you what you'd say <laughs> <laughs> i am positive no, uh, stevie g we go again so you know when we play the likes of these guys we know the the game plan for this season is keep the keep the the, the results low you know i'm not I don't, I don't say to them we set out to get beat i said but from last season and the previous seasons you know, keep, keep the score low um, and, and you know take the positives out of each game so we're getting feedback from other teams that we're playing at the minute to say they can actually see the progression um, I'm getting messages from different managers different people who are playing saying actually for what you're doing with the girls and you kind of they can see the, the difference so for me it is that positivity well, yeah and it's uh, you're so right you can always find a positive aim or a positive outlook from a very difficult situation yeah. that can mentally beat people down into not wanting to play anymore so I think that's yeah. the sign of a really really good coach losing the game of football you can normally find more like positives or you can normally find um definitely something to work on so i kind of think sometimes losing the game of football you get more from actually winning and um, certainly things to work on anyway and i think f- personally nikki i think you should be still playing to be honest but um <laughs> I, I, I remember having a couple of good tussles with you when you were playing center forward and i was playing center <laughs> half um but no i think um as you say it's kind of changing the girls attitudes isn't it trying to get them yeah. to believe in themselves and it's kind of looking at previous results in previous years and just trying to better that. It's not yeah. necessarily trying to beat teams, but trying to better what you've done before. Exactly, 100%. Um, and that's, I think that's the definitely the right way to think. Yeah, hitting the nail on the head when you say making the girls believe in themselves, because I think naturally, kind of as a gender, we can be quite apologetic and the first people to put ourselves down when we've done something really, really awesome. And I think when you've got the stigma surrounded the sport as well, and then potentially men who are playing and don't necessarily take you as seriously as you deserve to be taken, that's a lot of factors going against you. So I think it is vital to have coaches who do just solely focus on 
you're badass at this sport and you need to be the first person to know it you know and even if your skills aren't quite there yet you fake it till you make it and you know you work hard and you graft hard it's nice to see um like more women coaches as well involved well absolutely what are women coaches and women's ref numbers like well refs now you used to have have joe hicks and i'm not joking she was she's the best ref ever and there's probably only one referee that has honestly kept Becky Cole in check and that was Joe Hicks and she was <laughs> firm but fair um, she, was, she was brilliant and to be fair I used to play with Joe as well, she used to play at Royals and she was a great player as well um, and she was very respected as a player and as a referee so it's a shame that she doesn't do it now, I'm not actually sure She's she playing netball now, yeah, I actually saw her last yeah, week golf as well. Oh yeah okay yeah. so her Sundays are probably um, busy but she's she's a great ref and it is a shame mm. I think um, Sarah Kerford was involved in refing a little bit or certainly doing the line and um, but obviously she doesn't live here anymore um but yeah i think um it's it's nice to have more women like, so it's still predominantly involved. male coaches it is and, and i don't think it's, it's actually officials ladies coaches or no, I think managers there is a rule that you have to it came in this year you do have to be have your fa coaching badges so i've got level one and two and i'm actually looking to do my uefa badges but i don't know on the island if there is anybody else who they probably have got it but whether they want to go into coaching and i didn't really want to afterwards when i realized after my operation that i couldn't play i turned away from the sport mm. and really missed it absolutely missed it and then my wife obviously plays so i just thought i need to get back into it in some capacity and i just didn't think i would be a coach or a manager and kind of ended up in this position and I really enjoy it and I actually have the passion back for it but in a totally different way. Yeah. We have uh, Tracy Craig, so Beth's mum, um, who's heavily involved at Royals and what she's done with the junior team, she's an absolute mm. genius. Um, her commitment and general drive for uh, girls football, probably a lot to do with Beth playing as well. It's just absolutely amazing and she's I think she around, yeah. she literally has. The, some of the players that Royals have got, I'm not obviously just being biased I'm at Royals as well, but some of the players she's got and the effort and time she's put into them teams, she actually generally deserves um, like a, a big merit to be fair. Mm. Um, and it is, it's rare to see um, ladies coaches and staying involved, but I think if obviously if you've got a daughter playing, I think it makes it a little bit easier. But She's got, she must have about 40 girls playing at Royals yeah. and they are very good. Some of them come to ladies training with us now. Hold their own completely. They, t- they, wouldn't, they don't like look out of place really, do yeah. they? And they're going to obviously Better step up in a couple of years to our women's team. And um, yeah, it's... I've spoken it's really to Tracy a few times. She's a very impressive, impressive woman with what she's doing with the younger players, definitely. I don't think she sleeps, to be honest. Yeah. Genuinely, I don't It doesn't think, sound like it the times I spoke to her. I know, she yeah. works about five jobs and coaches about 15 hours a day. Mm. <laughs> so I, th- I think um, there is um, an older generation in women's football at the moment that maybe in about five years' time might take that step back from playing. Um, and there's a lot of players who've got their badges in that field. Um, and so you might start seeing some more coaches, which are be amazing coming through talking about Donna Shimmon or yeah Donna's got her badges yeah. Donna is Donna is ridiculously yeah. good I've got my badges when she retires at 15 years, <laughs> Donna literally is ridiculous at coaching she's so good um, she, she's like a fountain of knowledge and mm-hmm. um, obviously she's still playing now but I guess when she stops playing I think she'd be definitely like a definitely yeah. um, someone good to get we've got a female again. manager now Zoe Hawley's taken us mm. on this year so yeah I think you're moving in the right direction. Definitely, yeah. Good. So he's an ex-player um, and she's not playing anymore, so she kind of wanted to give something back a little bit and because she's heavily involved with Royals still anyway, um, she kind of took over, took the reins a little bit off me um, so I can just concentrate on playing. But um, she's working wonders. She's super organised and she's like super keen as well. Um, so that's obviously a good sign. Let's go back to the Laxi game. Nikki, do you want to tell us how that went? Because we had a chat about that being a platform for a much uh, deeper message 
Yeah. So it was really good. So we had our obviously the rainbow laces that we spoke about last week and it was really good when we turned up because we were playing at Laxey's home ground. They all made the effort. So they didn't all get laces in time, but they all wore something rainbow. So um, they had the ban- the bangles on and, you know, it had a really big feel around that game. Like it was some sort of cup final game. Loads of people turned up as well. You know, just, just people who were not or just fans of the sport. And it was it, the girls, every single player on that pitch for Laxiam for, for um, Royals, sorry, <laughs> old boys, was um, they played the heart out and it was a tough game and it was a, we, we came out on top 1-0. I think when the when the whistle went, I turned around to the Laxi manager and I was just like, I need a whiskey. I said, I can't put up with that. <laughs> every week my heart was just... Pounding. Uh, yeah. That's but, a great result for you guys though because Laxi, I kind of think sometimes Laxi are our bogey team a little bit when we play against them. Got they've got some strong players. got some really strong players. And they fielded a strong team as well so that's why it meant you know it meant even more because they, they didn't put a weak team out they went for it and they did really well though they were unlucky with chances and um, we got some some lucky chances as well so i think i think it was the right result because the manager came off to me and said that the difference with the girls is the girls and my team had the fitness which we've kind of been working on and that was it the last 10 minutes the legs and their their heads didn't go and the last 10 minutes you could see like they're a little bit of a younger team their kind of mentality i think they just dipped a little bit and mm. that that was when we Kind of it's about composure in the dying minutes. And that's why I kept saying to the girls, was like, mm-hmm. you know, that chimp in your head, just calm it down. And 10 minutes felt like an hour. Mm. But yeah, they, they kept it together and I was proud of them. What, who, who are you playing this weekend, Nikki? We're free this weekend. Oh, okay. So I'm going down to scout a game. <laughs> but, don't be saying that live on radio. <laughs> you jinxed it now. I know. No Talk about nerves. I've got them now. <laughs> um, what prompted you to use that game or, or choose to make a statement with the rainbow laces now to promote equality in women's sport on the island. Had you seen, I know I asked you this briefly, but I'm going to ask you again, had you seen many examples of inequality in sport on the island? So no, I've not seen any specific examples. Like like I said last week, it was more because I I do a lot of it outside of sport as well. So it was, I do it within work. Um, I was shortlisted for a responsible business award in regards to equality, diversity and inclusion. So it just felt it was the right kind of the next the platform to then bring it into instead of a business environment, bring it into a sporting environment as well. And I thought it was the right time for the girls. There was a, there was a method behind it as well, so we can give them something else to focus on during that game. So. Uh, just two last questions. The first is a bit bigger than the island. Um, how do you think the World Cup impacted women's sport? Because we were talking about this in um, an episode of Perspective and the Netball World Cup and the Football World Cup it was everywhere and it was brilliant and it's exactly what is needed but then I remember going on the BBC Sport page and there was Serena Guthrie from England Netball and um, the your lady who just won I think American Female Footballer of the Year Was it Lucy Bonds? Yes I think so they were they the faces the women's faces at the top yeah. of the BBC Sports uh, BBC Sports page and which is great and then I scrolled down and scrolled down and scrolled down and scrolled down and it was nothing like literally nothing else so I was just like is this just surface deep you know I know we've got a long way to go but do you feel like there's a real movement now in terms of women's football around the world or do you think that it was just a a flash in the pan moment why is everyone looking at me (laughs) Corky's hardly said anything Uh, for you for you personally like as players sorry I keep on talking like about netball it's just the only way I can like relate it back but in terms of the netball world cup it gave me a lot of hope because I was like this looks like 
it's a surge and now it's moving on to like the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and England netball is getting loads more coverage um, you know you can watch Super League games on Sky Sports Mix which isn't accessible to ev- everyone but at least it's sort of chipping away at it more exposure and it, it feels like it's the start of bigger things to come do you get that feeling with women's football I definitely think um, the World Cup has given more publicity to the sport and I think now that kind of precedent is set I think it can only get better in terms of publicity I just hope it doesn't die down for me they've got to keep the momentum going I've been around I know a couple of the old England um, players back in the day so I used to go and watch the, the, the kind of early 2000s England women's team um, went to see them play against France at Ewood Park and the, the crowds that they were getting there in the stadium, they were probably lucky if they were getting a 1,000. So what, what they're getting now on a kind of national level is brilliant, but also I think the Super League, so the Women's Super League's done wonders for us. I think what they've done by moving it as well to playing it in the summer, which we, we, we touched on earlier, um, just got to keep the momentum going. We And there is coverage there. So each week, the, the, the league football show, they do do a segment on women, but we're always afterwards. So you've got the Premier League, match of the day, then you have like the League One, and then I think we come on about half twelve at night, so it's normally when I'm coming in after a night out and I, and I stick it on. And I think that's wrong. We should be part of match of the day. Yeah, and it is annoying. And we did an episode on athletics, and the good thing about athletics is that male and women's sport is covered. That it's all there yeah, in one place together. Happen, yeah. And it's the same with um, disability sports as well. Yeah. You know, you show the Olympics and then the Paralympics yeah. afterwards, and it does make one feel less important than the other, to put it bluntly. And I find that even, like I said before, with calling it women's football, you know, why, just the football when it should just be called yeah. football, yeah. yeah match of the day for it all. Not if, I kind of think when you look at like some of the venues that the matches are being held at and the fact that they're selling completely out, I kind of think that speaks for itself, really. So I think, personally, I think it's, as Nikki said, now we've, we've kind of, we have to keep on top of it now. We've got to a certain standard, and I think now you have to keep pushing it and keep kind yeah. of promoting it. Um, and it's moving in the right direction, but even if you look at males' pay, that they're paid 100 times more than... Women, female Premier League players, hundred times. It's, yeah, it doesn't even surprise me more. that it's so a male pay gets three million salaries. a year. Yeah. So I think the equality of it, the gap's still there. But as you say, with the surge and the netball is a fantastic example. Uh, there does seem to be that surge and that that next big thing. So hopefully, with those big occasions, the depth will follow, and then hopefully the platform will rise and it will just be an equilibrium of women and male sport and hopefully that is the future. I think the fact that um, the England ladies aren't having to work as well as play professional football, that's kind of some of them still do right, yeah. step some, in the right direction because at one point they were still working. Like Some of them still jobs. do though, so there's only a set amount of players that are on, everyone's got a professional contract but you, they, they say 80% of the um, footballers who play for England and like Chelsea and Man City, some of them still hold down another job or two jobs because it's not enough to pay their rent as well which is, you think that's just not Right, if they're that's the Premier League of women for us, and you, I think Steph Horton's on the most thing. She's on about sixty-four thousand, and that's massive. But then the step down is some of them will be on like sixteen thousand. How can you survive on that? It's mad, isn't and then it? You look at what the men get. They just month. blink and they get. Men. They probably get that for per minute. Yeah. Some of them. Yeah, we're promoting, promoting equality and everything. It just. We need to look at other countries as well. So where the World Cup was hosted helped because France is a is a really strong women's league. Hence why some of our England women players are going there. Look at the USA. You know, uh, Sweden. Germany, them leagues are all coming up. I think the the kind of UK women's FA or the FA as a whole just needs to look at what do they do right then? Mm. Absolutely. Um, I remember seeing uh, an interview, uh, I think it was on like the breakfast show or something, and there was a woman speaking about whether women should be paid 
the same in sport and she said no because of the coverage and again it feels like you can see where she's coming from but then when women are performing and proving themselves to be real athletes it's out of their power to with the the media yeah Yeah. so it's it's kind of like double-edged sword double-edged sword i mean i don't know if you've seen a film called uh, a league of their own about um, baseball, when the baseball. They to, we it's stepped like, in when they, the men went to war, yeah. so the women had to come and play baseball in Exa- skirts. And yeah, people. exactly. So the yeah, the men went to war and the women had to do play baseball, and everyone was like, "Girls can't play ball," and da 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 da. And then it was down to the women to like do splits to like catch the ball, and then eventually they had a huge, huge following. And it's one of the it's one of the films I'll watch if I need to get like psyched up for yeah. a netball game. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but it, it just kind of reminds me of that. These women are, are incredible athletes and then also working and proving themselves. And it's just kind of like, what else do you have to do? Well, the media has such a big influence on everything that we do. So they started playing a little bit more catch up and had more equal media and coverage, coverage time. Yeah. I think the rest would follow. Absolutely, because I think a lot of people watch football. I mean, it's a wonderful game and it's an incredibly... Well, it is an inclusive game in terms of sort of class through the ages that everyone's been Mm -hmm. able to play football. And I think it's just always on. So no wonder it's so popular. And and when people are like, well, people don't want to watch women's football. It's like, well, no one can watch women's football because it's not on. So if, if it was on and it was on in the background, you never know how popular it could be purely for accessibility, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That was just a bit of a rant. That wasn't really a question. <laughs> um, Based on the fact you were saying that football's such a great game, does that mean we might have a new recruit? I, <laughs> you I, don't need him at Royals, so like, yeah. you've got enough. Got I enjoy football. Ball. I just can't. I, whenever I kick the ball, though, my hands kind of go out like jazz hands, which I don't understand. It's like a weird tick. One final question for you all. What is your favourite thing about football and how would you inspire more girls to take it up? For me, I think um, it's one of my one of the best things about football is certainly the social element. I think um, a lot of the girls I currently play with um, and I started at Royals with are my best friends now. Um, so it kind of feels like you're exercising, doing something you love and playing football, but also with your best friends. Um, and also a few of the kind of trips away and the experiences we've had with the Ireland team. I think it's the last two Ireland games and I, I, apart from having my son, I don't think there's been any better experiences for me. Um, and it's just, it's, the trips are more than just playing football and that 90 minutes or then three or four games. It's the laughs and the banter and everything else that comes with it. It's just, it's literally like being away with your best mates for a week playing four games of football, doing something you absolutely love. So I think that's definitely a positive thing for me. I think it just turns into like your family. Like I'd say like, the football, like Kim said, like they are, they do turn into your best friends, and they're the ones that you call upon um, to go for a beer with at the end of the. Well, you all go. For, we all tend to go for a beer at the end of the game anyway. But even like apart from a Sunday, my friends are the ones that I would call upon to go like out for a walk or anything. Are your football team? Yeah, I think it comes down to that team camaraderie. That's the biggest thing for me is that united front of you're all training, you're all playing for that same common goal. Um, and yet at the end of it, you're still socially, that is your friendship group, that is that is your team. So working towards that together and achieving it together, I think it's great at winning things as a team and there's no better feeling. I think if you take that away, I don't think it would actually be enjoyable. If you took away like the, like, you know, the camaraderie and mm-hmm. the kind of fun and everything else that comes with it, it I don't think it would be anywhere near as good as what it is now. So for girls that want to get involved I think um, obviously if you're interested in football anyway but um, I'd probably say that you're gonna you'll, you'll join a team and probably have meet the your best friend you've ever met to be, well ever had really to be 
there so and the thing is i think it, it's in just before i come to you nikki it, it can be quite there can be quite a negative stigma about girls being mean to each other and um i don't know i don't know what it is but girls bringing down other girls and i think it with sports it's such a wonderful thing to see women supporting women just knowing that you can step onto a pitch or a court and knowing that those six six women and the people in the crowd or on the bench they're just there for you you know it's like literally girl power really and i think that's a really good i think that's what i've noticed from like when you watch the men's game like if they go like one nil down two nil down they get on each other's backs dead quick and they're swearing at each other and giving each other grief for like missing a pass missing a shot whereas with the women I mean, as, as frustrating as it is it, when you see like an open chance and it's not being taken, you still encourage each other to keep going and you don't you don't get on each other's backs because at the end of the day, that's what was going to make the game go worse by not encouraging each other to carry on. That's a really good point. Uh, Nikki? So I think the guys have covered most of it. I think for me, I think if, if I look back and say what was the biggest benefit, so probably growing up, but it's probably the mental health side of it for me. It was giving me something to focus on. Um, at school, I was quite a, a, a kind of a high performer all round, and I was I just give myself too much pressure. That was a re- sport was a release for me, and I think it is now. My job Monday to Friday is just absolutely manic. I work long hours. It's a quite a pressure job that I have. So to come to a Sunday, it's just yeah, it just lifts my spirit. I've got something to look forward to, and I definitely think just the whole kind of the sport side for mental health is is brilliant, and that's how I want to encourage girls to get involved for it as well. So everything the guys touched on, that is, it's to, it's to help your own self esteem and just feel good about yourself. And I think on that nice note, we will end it there. And that's a lovely thing to say, Nikki. Thank you very much. I feel the email after listening to that.